Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. This is Eric alongside Rod. We're here to talk about Nebraska as Michigan State heads to Lincoln on Tuesday night to take on the Cornhuskers. Uh, before we begin, just want to remind you that if you want to support the show, a great way to do that is to go over to the Final Fours on the schedule.com slash support. There you can find ways of supporting the show financially, either through one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo, or on a recurring basis through Patreon. Uh, that's what allows us to do all these extra features. Tomorrow, we're going to have on a bracketologist, an actual, a real one, I mean, someone who's actually very accurate, <laughs> and we're going to talk about seeding and the NCAA tournament. Uh, we do interviews with other players, and all those things are made possible with all the extra support you guys give, so we really appreciate that. Additionally, it's because you also support our sponsors, who have been very excited and happy with, with the support that you've shown them, and so, you know, continue it. We really appreciate it. I'll start with uh, Brothers That Just Do Gutters, our friend Kurt Salfer over on the west side of the state in the Grand Rapids area, all the way from Saugatuck to Lowell, up to Rockford, down, um, down further south. If you're in that area, he can get your gutters taken care of because it's one of those things that you have to have. It's sort of like new brakes for your car. You got to have, if you have a home, you have to take care of the water that, which we have plenty of here in Michigan. So if it's full of leaves, if you need it cleaned out, if you need it repaired, if you need leaf guards, if you need just a complete replacement, like I did in my house, they can take care of it. They'll do a quick job, really nice, all kinds of different colors and selections. You can't go wrong with Kurt and his team. They're super professional and can do it really almost in virtually any weather. And they're really super impressive. Uh, you can contact them at Kurt Stauffer, uh, Brothers Gutters. That's K-U-R-T dot S-T-A-U-F-F-E-R at brothersgutters.com. That link will be on the show notes here on the podcast player. And so you just look below uh, the episode. You should see that there and you can contact Kurt and his team to take care of you. I apologize also. I've, I think I've got a little touch of COVID, and so I've got a little bit of cold, so I'm going to try and uh, soldier through this. And t- boy, today I was at a state robotics, the state championships for VEX Robotics, all day. And when I say all day, Rod, <laughs> it was all day long. It was, um, and I don't know if you've watched those, like, BattleBots. Have you watched that sort of thing before? Like yeah, TV? yeah. Yeah. It's nothing like that. <laughs> Let me just tell you, if it was, that would be fantastic. Uh, it'd also be super expensive. Yeah, this is basically like robots doing various tasks. It's kind of cool, but man, it's like, uh, I think it's it's uh, a lot like the people I talk to whose kids go to swim meets and they're just there, you know, all day watching diving and stuff. I think it was <laughs> pretty much like it. So it was fun, but it was a long day at, in beautiful Flint, Michigan. So I made it and we're going to get this uh, Nebraska preview put out. So, before we begin, you know, I've, 
I've been uh, made the mistake of going online, and I've sort of because of me taking over as co-host of the show, uh, it has led me to, uh, I guess, get more immersed in Michigan State message boards and Twitter sphere, and this has led me to get very frustrated, especially the last really month or so, month and a half. And I, um, with basically just the way a lot of Michigan State, the fan base is, and now I know you're used to this. And so for you, this is not surprising, but well, it, has been, it doesn't make it any less irritating <laughs> to see, but yes, it is. It is really, um, really annoying. And I mean, I understand in some, on some level, and you know, I don't like using the word spoiled because I don't think it's really the right word that I, that I want uh, to describe that that small portion of the fan base. I think it's a small okay, portion we, of the fan base. We, we disagree there. Right. I understand. I think it's, I think it's an accurate <clears throat> word, but yeah. And, and I, and go on. yeah, <laughs> it's, it's sort of like, uh, you know, my wife's beautiful. She's really smart. She's a great mom. Uh, and she's courageous. She's all these things. And, but the thing is that she's there every day. Right. And so for years she's been there. And so you sort of appreciate things less over time. You get used to them. You know, you're just, it's sort of the normal mm-hmm. And right. I think, you know, Michigan State fans, for the large part, are very like that, right? Like, I don't ever start the season thinking to myself, man, I wonder if Michigan State makes a tournament this year. That'd be pretty sweet, right? You never even like, it doesn't even really enter your mind that that's a possibility. I mean, you think, well, disaster could occur and they don't make it. But it always has to be some sort of like extraordinary circumstance, in which case Michigan State's not playing in mid-March, right? I mean, it's just like, it's a given. <laughs> I mean, the name also, of the show is... Uh, but I want to... I want to stop you there for a second, because I I think we have gotten to the point now with the length of time that it has been a given, as you correctly state, that, you know, uh, let's put it this way, a 40 year old, so not a young person, right? A 40 year old was in the middle of high school the last time Michigan State did make the tournament. So what does that mean for what a good percentage of your fan base is, you know? Yes. I don't feel that old, but the reality (laughs) is I'm older than 40. And (laughs) so I've seen, as I've mentioned here before, I went through the eighties where Michigan state made the NCAA tournament, a grand total of two times in 10 years. Um, anybody my age who's or older knows how unprecedented this is, what, what Tom Izzo has done. And I don't, I guess when I, when I think about how many people just based on demographics fall into the category we're talking about where It is just what they have always known and what that does to your mentality or your mindset. You know, it's, it doesn't make me any less irritated with it and doesn't make me any less willing to push back against what I think are, are wrong headed perceptions (laughs) of what's going on. But at the same time, I, you know, it's, it's easy to understand how it could take root. Let's sure. put it that way. Yeah. So when people say things like the Michigan state fan base is spoiled, I say, yes, readily. 
because I think it's, I, I, you know, part of me thinks the evidence is clearly there that that's the case. And part of me thinks, how else could it be any other way? Yeah. Given what, what we're talking expect. about. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And so, um, you know, I think what put me over the edge is I've, well, I've seen a lot of people talk about how this team's really, you know, very, a- or not even average. They say like, you know, mediocre, they're kind of terrible, you know, yeah. uh, they're all these sorts of exp- which, they yeah, this is not, the, they don't know the meaning of those words. Well, but, right. Yeah. I mean, yes. As far as Michigan state standards recently, you could say, yes, they are, they have been struggling a little bit in the yeah. sense they're not like dominant in the big 10. However, <laughs> you don't even have to be that old to recall Michigan State you know uh, being very successful I'll I'll pose this question to you I know you know the answer what what is the last team to in the Big Ten to go to the Final Four oh uh, yeah it's Michigan State oh it is 2019 that wasn't that long ago right now now, uh, now the problem is then the next response will be yeah but the Big Ten sucks yeah right okay <laughs> it's just yeah you know. so so there are, pl- right. There's, yeah. Well, there's not. Then you can go cheer for a different league, I guess. Whatever. There have been two NCAA tournaments played since the last time Michigan State made the Final Four. That's the truth. Only two. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and we all know <laughs> that that there was. Now this guarantees you nothing, but there was a great degree. And geez, our Mike Garland mentioned it yesterday. Yeah. On our podcast, we all know this. The year they didn't play the NCAA tournament, there was a great deal of confidence in Michigan State's camp that they were going to go back again. Right. I think at the very least, you'd have to have given that team a good chance to a do A reasonable that. chance. Yeah, exactly. So for those of you who, and then the thing that got me really over the edge is I read someone mentioned comment made a comment that it's not even worth watching a team like this if they're not going to really challenge for a final four, then okay, don't. So, then right. Don't. Well, right. Absolutely. Go away. Stop doing right. it. Find something more exactly. productive to do with your time. And I just, that, that's, that's a real, it has a real easy answer, but you know, what <laughs> is irritating about that is those people don't follow through. They don't do that. No, I know. I know. They like their people have like, the courage of your conviction. Stand behind your words, find something else to do. You know, I've complained about the, um, the heckler behind me at Michigan state games. And, you know, I don't, I don't ordinarily get bothered by hecklers, like people who get, you know, complain about the call. Yeah. I mean, they, I think they're, you know, funny or not funny, but just like, you know, kind of ridiculous. Right. But it wasn't until the last game when he said, way to go, Madi. you know, when Madi, you know, dove on the floor or whatever. And my wife turned me, she said, you know, that's the first positive thing he said ever since we've sat, he sat you know, behind us. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's what really bo- irritates me about this guy is not that he's always complaining. It said he's never like positive. He never cheers. He's, I don't even know why he's at the games. Like he doesn't seem to like enjoy himself. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on a, a tangent that I have gone off on uh, more than once, I believe, on on this podcast. And, and I then, know I'm gonna, I've and then I've got a quiz for you after you're done. So okay, and then I, and then I've got it in a. I've, I know I've done it in written form as well elsewhere. <laughs> there are ample ample studies i know this because i've read articles about this that hold the position that the average person has an inherent um perception that negative views 
are equate to a smarter view. This has been demonstrated mm -hmm. time and time again. So it's a psychological um, phenomenon that people believe being critical, being negative, even in the face of evidence to the contrary, is a more savvy, intelligent, uh, smarter, for lack of a better word, way to function in the world. And you see this manifest in every single walk of life. You see it in the world of finance with people, people that they'll call perma bears. Right. Um, who have predict successfully predicted 95 of the last three recessions. <laughs> right. Um, you see it in politics. You see it, certainly see it in sport. Um, I understand that this is a demonstrated manifestation of a psychological condition that is part of being human. There, there are also people for whom I think the idea of being pessimistic is um, kind of a crutch. They're afraid that if they let themselves become optimistic and things don't work out, that the pain will be greater than if they expect something to go wrong and it in fact does. And then right. they can always say, well, if it goes right, I can be pleasantly surprised. I, I can accept that this is a standard uh, MO for a lot of people in the world. I will never understand it. It has struck me. I'm not talking about operating as a pie in the sky optimist and everything you do and not being realistic, but I'm talking about something that tilts way beyond that. And you see way too often, as I say, across every sphere of life, it strikes me as fundamentally a miserable way to exist. Absolutely miserable. I don't understand why people who, who function that way get up in the morning. I really don't. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that for effect. I don't get it because if you really think that way, why go on? It makes no sense to me, but it, I'm talking about something that is a much more serious and um, broader uh, issue in society and in the world and among human beings specific to this, to what we're talking about. It's one of those situations where, again, it cuts against of all available evidence. You're talking about a school that, by the way, I believe has now broke. Oh, clearly it's obliterated the all-time Big Ten record for consecutive NCAA tournament appearances. Oh, I mean, that's sure. that just absolutely destroyed it. And I think is among the three or four longest in history. It's second right now nationally behind Kansas. Um, but I believe it's it's right there at the all-time, you know, among the all-time greatest ever. So when you when you view things through that prism and you understand what it means, how can you possibly look at Michigan State basketball that way? I'm not saying don't be critical. We're critical here all the time. Every episode, we're critical to some extent because that's what that's what goes along with it. But in, in a big picture sense, are you kidding me? 
Yes. When you, when you, when you get to that point, the point you're talking about where it's just all negativity and that's all it is, you've broken with reality as I view it. You're no longer a realistic or serious person. So congrats. <laughs> so we're just going to go through, you know, if you weren't a Michigan State fan, let's say you were another Big Ten basketball fan. We're just going to walk through this. And I, I was, I had plenty of time on my hands today and we're going to just go through it real quickly. So let's say you're a Northwestern fan or even a Nebraska fan, it doesn't matter. You've never been to the final four. You've never been to an elite eight. You've never won, gone to the sweet 16. You've obviously never had consecutive attorneys because, you know, barely ever gone. Uh, so you have a zero streak in consecutive tournament bids. You've never won a Big Ten regular season. You've never won a Big Ten tournament title. Nebraska, so, Nebraska by the way, has never won an NCAA tournament game. And there's that, too. Yeah. <laughs> so so then let's go to Penn State. Now, I granted there aren't lots of Penn State fans, but never won a Big Ten title, never won a regular season title, never had a – they have no current consecutive tourney streak. They've won Sweet 16 – this is all since Tom Izzo took over. So this last since 1998, right? Uh, no lead eights, no final fours. And the last final four Penn state was 1954. So if you're a Penn state fans, I'm not gonna watch the final four. You've been waiting a long time. <laughs> and let's talk about Rutgers. Well, obviously Rutgers is new to the league. Clearly hasn't won a big 10 title or a tournament. They do have a tournament streak going of two. They don't have any sweet 16s. They don't have any elite eights, final fours. They haven't been the final four since 1976. Well, then Iowa, which has been a pretty good basketball program. We both agree. I mean, they're not like great, but they're pretty good. They have three Big Ten tournament titles last one last year. They've not not won a Big Ten regular season title since Thomas has taken over. They only have three consecutive tournament appearances. They've got one Sweet 16 in that time period. And the last Final Four was in 1980. So they have zero Final Four since Thomas has taken over. How about Minnesota? Minnesota has a good tradition as well. No Big Ten tournament titles. No Big Ten regular season titles, three consecutive or zero con consecutive tournament appearances right now. No Sweet Sixteens, no Elite Eights, no Final Fours since Thomas has been around, and and the last Final Four is nineteen ninety seven, which was vacated. <laughs> we go to Purdue, which I don't know. I think they like basketball. Purdue, I think basketball is pretty important to Purdue fans. So if a Purdue fans can say, ah, I'm not going to watch, they're not going to compete for a Final Four. Well, how many Big Ten tournament titles have they won since Thomas has been around? One. How many big regular season titles? Four. Consecutive tournaments? They've had seven consecutive tournament appearances. And this is a good program, right? Sweet 16s, they've had nine, a lot. Two Elite Eights, no Final Fours. Because their last Final Four, do you remember when it is? Uh, 1980. Exactly, 1980. Same year as yeah, Joe Barry, Iowa. Joe Barry Carroll. Yep. Exactly, <laughs> yes. So then we go to Maryland. And this is actually maybe the trivia question. You know, what's the last team in the Big Ten to win the, the national championship? Well, it's actually Maryland, even though they weren't in, right. they weren't in the Big Ten at that time, 2002. Uh, they have never won the Big Ten tournament. They have one regular season Big Ten title. Now, granted, that's in 10, you know, 11 years, right? Since 2011, I think is when they joined. Uh, their consecutive tournament appearances, well, zero because they didn't go last year. Uh, they have they've have six Sweet 16s in that time period since Izzo's taken over. Two Elite Eights, no Final Fours because their last Final Four was in 2002 with Gary Williams. Indiana, well, Indiana's a pretty good program. They're one of the Blue Buds, right? They've how many times have they won the Big Ten tournament title since Izzo's taken over? Have they? I Zero. don't think they have. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. How many? How about how about regular season titles? They only have three. They have yeah. a they have a consecutive tournament streak right now of one. 
They have had four Sweet 16s, one Elite Eight, and one Final Four, which was back in 2002. So then Illinois. Illinois has been a thorn in Michigan State side. They've won the Big Ten tournament titles uh, tournament three times, so same as Iowa, quite a few. They have six regular season Big Ten tournament uh, or Big Ten regular season titles. They have a consecutive tournament streak right now of two. <laughs> they have four Sweet 16s in that time period. They have had two Elite Eights and one Final Four. Their Final Four was way back in 2005, 17 years ago. So now we're going to get to the teams that have been there a lot, right? So Ohio State. Ohio State has five Big Ten tournament titles. One of them they had to vacate. They've had seven Big Ten regular season titles, which one is vacated because they're uh, four con- consecutive tourney streaks, which I think is coming to an end this year. Yeah, they've had six Sweet Sixteens, one vacated, four Elite Eights, one vacated, three Final Fours, one vacated, and their last fi- Final Four was ten years ago in 2012. Then Wisconsin, Wisconsin, three Big Ten titles, the uh, tournament titles, six regular season titles, and boy, I feel like it's got to be more than that for as much as they always seem to win. Three consecutive tournament appearances. They've had 10 Sweet 16, so pretty good. I mean, really good. Four Elite Eights and three Final Fours in that stretch since Izzo's taken over. And their last Final Four was not long ago in 2015. And then what I think the real crux of it is, is that Michigan has had some success in the tournament, while Michigan State hasn't. And this is what's gotten people really up in up in arms here. In, I think uh, that's East true. Lansing. So M- Michigan has three Big Ten tournament titles. So pretty good, although they had to vacate one, right? And that was back in 98. The I think. first one. Yeah. Yep. They have had three regular season Big Ten titles. Well, that's not, not much. Not terrible. Not a lot in 22 years uh, or 24 years. Uh, six consecutive NCAA tournament appearances, seven Sweet 16s, four Elite Eights, two Final Fours, and the last Final Fours in 2018, which is still not as recently as Michigan State. Right. So what's Michigan State done in this time period? How, what have they done with under Tom Izzo? They've won six Big Ten tournament titles more than I mean more than anyone else they've had 10 regular season Big Ten championships way more than anyone else the next closest is six they've had 24 years in a row of tournament appearances I mean you could say 25 because that one's vacated we're just ignoring that they've had 14 sweet 16s which is four more than the next closest which is Wisconsin they've had 10 elite eight appearances which is six more than anyone else in the league They've had eight Final Fours, which is almost as many as all the rest of the teams combined. <laughs> the The level of success under Tom Izzo, and I get that people say, oh, well, you know, if the floor is so, you know, who cares about the floor? If all you're doing is just making the term every year, blah, blah. But if you're not doing anything with it, it hardly means anything. And I understand that if this, if we're talking about the NBA or we're talking about the NFL, like you're just always the wild card or you're like the eight, seven or eight seed, because in professional basketball you know you're not ever going to get better if you're kind of that middling team right you like you when we were kids like the milwaukee bucks right you're always the seventh Mm -hmm. or eighth seed you make it the playoffs you don't get a good draft pick and so you're just stuck forever there because those leagues are designed for parity but college athletics are not that way right if you're lousy like northwestern you'll never make you'll you'll could be lousy forever you'll never there's no advantage you losing whereas uh, the one guarantee that you'll never make a Final Four is if you're never in the tournament. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. And so, and especially Michigan State, if you've been watching Michigan State basketball for any number of years, you know that really all Michigan State has to do is make it into the tournament and then who the hell knows what's going to happen. There's entire, there's every reason to think that they're going to pull off something off because you know what? If you're there, 
you have a chance. And well, so, I, I will point out that um, during this horrible two previous seasons that they've had, they were in the play-in game against UCLA, a team who, by the way, ended up in the final four. And Michigan State was the better team in that game. Yep. They lost because of, well, they lost for a lot of reasons, but most notably a failure to screen out on a missed free throw um, killed them. But they were the better team in that game. Last year, where quite frankly, at the end of the regular season, um, Michigan State was playing as badly as they ever have under Tom Izzo for a sustained period of time, in my opinion. You go back to those late season losses at Michigan and at Ohio State, those games were just off the charts bad. And yet that team responded with a good two-game run in the Big Ten tournament, then went out and beat a very capable Davison team in the first round of the tournament and were dead even or maybe even had a lead at the under four timeout against Duke in the second round. So these horrible, the worst seasons anybody's ever seen (laughs) from a Tom Izzo team, that's what they've done. Both occasions, they were pretty decent by the end of both of those years. Two years ago, I'll remind people MSU had to go down that stretch with almost no time in between the games and beat top five at that moment teams in Michigan, Illinois, Ohio state. Yeah. Just to get into the tournament. Yeah. They they did that to get in that, that team was a good team, not a great team, but a good team at the end of the season last year, by the time they got to, to the tournaments, they were a good team. Mm -hmm. This team I think is better than either of those where it goes from here. uh, We'll see, but, uh, I think they've got every chance, partially because of who they are and partially because of who everybody else in the country is. I think they've got a legitimate chance to make things happen, and that's no guarantee. But in my opinion, you'd be foolish to write it off. Right. And I don't, and as you mentioned before, I'll just reiterate this is, we're not slappies. We're definitely supportive of Michigan State. It pains me when they lose. I don't like watching them lose. Although I will be honest. That when they lose, it does not bother me as much as when they lose in the NCAA tournament because then the season's over. And that's the, that's the loss that really hits me hard, um, which is partly a reflection of the fact that I know they're going to make the NCAA tournament. And so I'm like, yeah, they lost to Iowa, which is, a, I mean, that was a painful loss to watch. Uh, but I'm like, yeah, they'll still make the tournament. And in some ways, I don't, I kind of don't care in some way because I'm like, they're still going to have a chance, right? I know that it's not like the, the season's not going to be over because of that game. Well, here, here's, here's the thing. And, and from time to time, I, uh, I'll just speak for myself. I get accused by certain idiots as being someone who is automatically defends what the program does is never critical of anything. Michigan state basketball does blah, blah, blah. If you pay attention to any episode of this podcast over the entirety of the time it's been done, you will find critical statements that are made by me about some aspect of what the team is doing. And that's where, that's where I get to be critical because there are always things to be critical about the national championship team. There were things to be critical about, you know? Yeah. 
but be smart about it. Don't when you when you when you just blanket throw out, um, uh, you know, kind of along the lines of what you were talking about. This whole well, it's so painful to watch this team. I just team can't compete for Final Fours. What's the point? Okay, then I then you've given me complete permission to not take you seriously, right? Yeah. Um, I, I and I'll go back to this Iowa game. A lot of people, a lot, 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 lot of people are focused on the the way that Michigan State played out the last Iowa possession of regulation, that they didn't foul up three. Mm-hmm. And there is a re- and, and I asked Mike Garland about it on our post game, and right, he answered right. the way I figured he would. Um, it is a legitimate point for debate. Okay. There is, there is an argument, absolutely, that you can make in favor of fouling in that situation. My problem is a larger percentage of the fan base than I would like to see that I saw, particularly on social media and on websites that I participate on, is convinced that there is only one correct answer in that scenario. <laughs> right. That's untrue. I've over the last couple of days, I've been reminded of something that uh, a former high school basketball coach in the Lansing area named Steve Fenimore did. And I do remember him doing this because he would talk about it on his Twitter feed. Uh, he charted for years that exact situation up three foul or defend and what the outcomes were. And Jim Comperoni, guy who runs Spartan Mag, brought this up. And confirmed with Steve Fenimore after the Iowa loss that what he had thought was the case was, in fact, the case in terms of what Steve found, that the reality is there is virtually no difference in terms of the success rate um, between which of those two paths you take. Which, again, is the very essence of what would be a debatable point, right? I further found an article, it's 10 years old now, but I don't think the fundamentals are any different. Ken Pomeroy, whose numbers we use all the time, Ken Pomeroy did an, did an article researching this. He had, I don't know, there was something like uh, between the two approaches, maybe about a thousand games that he had looked at. And the percentages were extremely close, but you know which way had the slight, and by slight, I mean like by about a percentage point edge in terms of winning percentage, defending. Mm -hmm. He was surprised by it because he thought intuitively it would go the other way. Well, it hasn't. We're talking real-world outcomes. Who wins the game? Yeah. So there is a, there is a, a discussion that can take place about which philosophy you choose to employ under that scenario. Okay. I, I would, I would further argue that there were a lot of specifics in this game that made it tougher. One of the bigger ones being that it was a live ball situation. You weren't coming off a timeout where you weren't coming off a stoppage and play where you can get your guys together. Cause I, I maintain the thing that always gets left out of the equation in these discussions is you are dealing with college kids when 
when you do have a timeout and you are instructing players to foul a certain guy or to foul or not foul in a certain situation, how often do we see mistakes made in that where you see a player and a coach exasperated by something they did way more often than you'd hope? Okay. And then if you're going to tell me that you should be able to do that from the sidelines in a live ball situation and get that executed properly, you got a lot more faith than I have. Yeah. That's a, it's one thing to talk about it from the sidelines. It's another thing to actually execute that properly because there's all kinds of risk that comes. You foul a three point shooter. Um, Sure. You know, that being just one of them, but in any event, it's not a dumb thing to debate. The, the outcomes are very close. It is a dumb thing to insist that there is only one answer. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, again, you could talk about the particulars here. Iowa was red hot from three. Okay. You can say, well, that suggests they're probably going to hit it. Or you could look at the math and say there's always a reversion to the mean coming at some point. They're due to miss if they've hit four in a row, right? You can view it either way. And either view, I think, has credibility to it. You can look at the the idea of the strategy, which I mentioned when we talked to Coach Garland. With the way Michigan State was defensive rebounding, even if you got Iowa to miss one of those two free throws, if you intentionally fouled them, who's to say MSU comes up with the rebound? I mean, it's just... (sighs) The only dumb thing is to insist that there's only one answer in this scenario. And yet I saw a lot of that worse yet from my view. And this gets back to what we're talking about, the ability to be critical while actually being cogent about it. Yeah, there were absolutely plenty of things to criticize about the way Michigan State played that last minute and a half, a minute and a half, minute, 40 seconds, whatever it was. The foul or not foul thing was way down my list. Even if I was an adamant foul guy, it would be way down my list. The inability to get a defensive stop, because as Coach Garland talked about, MSU consistently was messing up their switching. And consequently, Iowa, I think of those of all those threes they took down the stretch, I think only one was properly guarded and they happened to hit it. McCaffrey's McCaffrey's three was, was well contested and he hit it. Yeah. Other than that, Michigan state's defense was a problem down the stretch. Shouldn't have been that way because they had a small ball lineup in that's as coach Garland talked about. That's, that's ideal for what MSU wants to do down the stretch of a, of a close game. Um, it's the ability to switch one through five, you know, which you can do playing that lineup and yet it didn't work MSU's inability to grab even one defensive rebound when they had to have it. That was a big problem because on the rare occasions that Iowa missed a shot, they got a second chance and they weren't blowing that. Not the way they were going. Um, MSU had two turnovers. One of them you could say was possibly a bad call. Um, the other one was a bad decision, a bad play by AJ. So that hurt, you know, both of those possessions hurt. So there were a lot of things that to me made that, that foul, foul defend decision, not worth the amount of focus that it got from the MSU fan base. I understand this is human nature because it was the last play of the game. I get it. But the same things that, 
people who believe in analytics talk about all the time, which is a play made in the first half is just as important as a play made in the second half. They apply here, but I think particularly a whole bunch of plays made in the final minute and a half were just as, if not more important, and I would argue collectively much more important than one shot at the end of the game. No question. And I think, you know, it was a very painful, and it doesn't make it any less painful to know that, you know, the way that that happens, the way it, you know, transpired, it was probably a one in 10,000, you know, uh, outcome like it, it the the chance for, for of that everything actually, that had to for happen everything to happen in, yes yeah it was it was virtually impossible which is why you virtually never see something like that but we saw it I, the, and the, the thing i would point to is like well you know one it's on the road so it's not like as you know from an analytic standpoint from a net standpoint it's not as bad as if it was at home hey i got i got news for you and for everybody who's listening to this <laughs> who was broken up about the loss which counts me i mean i think everybody felt it michigan yeah. state actually moved up <laughs> yeah, right. they are now number 28 in ken palm which is the highest they've been god probably since the kentucky game i'd have to go back and look yeah but it's been a long time um and they're the highest they've been in the net as well so they actually benefited from that performance. Probably just because they scored a gazillion points. I mean, 106 points probably helped them a lot. Part, the, part of it, but that it was, but that it was a road loss against a quad, I believe a yeah, quad right. one opponent. Uh, so you get credit for all the things positively that I was done as well, just by playing them. This is, this is an illustration of what we've been talking about, or what I've been talking about. The, the Ohio state. <laughs> well, that, but no more, more significantly, this whole playing not playing minnesota thing sure um tom Izzo wants to play the game so i'm behind it you know from that perspective but honestly michigan state probably benefits from not playing it in from that perspective you don't get it playing minnesota is almost a no-win proposition right. it's it the way they are rated this year it is equivalent to playing you know um it's East Tennessee, Southwest, Southwest Tennessee Tech. <laughs> no, it, well, it's a, a really bad back school. Yeah, it's it's equivalent to a November December bye game at right. home, especially because it's at home. That's what it's like. It's not like playing Northwestern in a typical year or Penn State or Nebraska. It's way worse. So, and the Iowa game is the other side of that. You go in, you lose that game, you actually benefit from it. The disadvantage of course is that I have one less home game I get to go to, one less opportunity to eat an ice cream sandwich, and right. one less opportunity to watch potentially Steven Izzo score. You know, I think that would have been pretty cool. Right. Um, and on the bright side, I mean, most likely because of that, Michigan State is not likely to get a double buy in the Big Ten tournament. Although, who knows no. right now? The, the Big Ten's crazy. Um, so I get to watch an extra game in the Big Ten tournament watching Michigan State. So hopefully, in that sense, you know, it's a win, I guess. And um, So, all right, let's talk about Nebraska <laughs> since we got all that away. But I had to get that off my chest because it's been driving me nuts. So Nebraska, interesting team, much like last year, especially at the end of the season, they sort of are – They've gotten better. Uh, they're 15 and 14 overall, 8 and 10 in the league, easily their best season under Fred Hoiberg uh, in the Big Ten. They're number 93 overall in Ken Palm, 171st on offense, 56 on defense, which is a huge improvement over last season where they were 178th yeah. in uh, defense. They were, they've been much, much better. And they've been 
doing really well. They've won four in a row, five of the last six. I mean, you know, last one was, of course, at Minnesota, which, you know, everybody beats Minnesota. And previously, they had lost a lot before that, uh, including losing at Michigan State by 18. Uh, that that gave off a two and seven run that preceded this five of six. So they've been very streaky. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they've, you know, they as we mentioned from last year, they lost uh, a couple. They've lost some players actually this year, in addition to, you know, the turnover of the roster like usual. They lost Emmanuel Bandamel and Juwan Gary to injury. Uh, offense, they can't shoot threes or 31.7%, which is good for 298th overall. Uh, but they're 73 uh, from three or from two, sorry. They are better shooting at home. They're 33.4% at home. Turn the ball over a ton. They're number 213th in turnover percentage. Offensive rebounding has really been terrible since they had joined, the, uh, started playing Big Ten play. They're currently at 288th. They don't shoot free throws very well, 63.7%. They're one of the worst in the country. And uh, But on defense, they are better, and so that's why they've been competitive and won some games. Uh, they're 152nd against twos, 121st against threes. They generate some turnovers, not great. Uh, they don't foul their uh, foul opponents very often, and they're, um, uh, they've really slowed the tempo down. They're 202nd in tempo, and so that makes their offense pretty low because they're not getting a lot of points. Uh, the one difference really the last, since this winning streak, is they've started shooting a little bit better, especially Kise Tamananga has been played a lot better too, and so he's he's propelled them to a lot of wins. I mean, somewhat is schedule dependent. Uh, and they've won a lot of many of those games at home. But anyway, uh, they've they're actually pretty good at home. I, what are they like thirteen and three at home? So they've they're they're tough in Lincoln. Yeah, um, it's remarkable to me that this stretch where they've won five out of six has happened since they've lost two starters. It wasn't just two players; it was two starters. Um, Juwan Gary. I mean, their offensive rebounding, when the MSU played them the first time, I went back and looked at the notes. We were talking about them being much, much improved as an offensive rebounding team, something they've never done well under Hoiberg. Well, that's fallen off a cliff since Juwan Gary. I mean, it was already trending down anyway, but Juwan Gary himself averaged more than two offensive rebounds a game. So they lost him. They're going ultra small now in their starting lineup, and it's just fallen off a cliff. Um, it's remarkable to me that down two starters and, and by the way, two guys who played pretty well for them, they were both good defensive players. Gary gave them really an answer at the four that they have not had. It's been a, a long search for Fred Hoiberg at two positions, point guard and power forward. And Juwan Gary was far better than what they've had out there previously. And so missing those guys, when those guys went out with season-ending injuries, if you had asked me what's going to happen in Nebraska season, I would have said, you know, prepare for a three- or four-win year. <laughs> and instead, they're not, and I, I didn't glance. I don't know if you have their schedule up. I don't know who their, other, who their last remaining game is next weekend is with. I'm assuming it's on the road since they're at home for this one. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be tough, but theoretically, uh, they could finish 500 in the league. Sure. And they've still got a shot to have a winning overall record for the first time in the Hoiberg regime. I mean, it's been a while now since they've even done that. So 
they are improved. Now, when you look at the statistical profile overall, it's still not super impressive. It's, it's somewhat surprising that they've been able to win eight games when you look at it, because defensively, look, they're, they're certainly better than they are on offense, but they're only anything better than mediocre in one area. They are one of the five best teams in the country at avoiding fouling. They do not put opponents on the free throw line. So that has helped cover up some other things that are much more mediocre, the way they, they guard people, defensive rebounding. They're not great in any of these areas, but they're at least mediocre. Offensively, they're way worse than mediocre in a lot of things. The three-point shooting has been abysmal. It's, it's better at home than on the road, but it's not great at home either. Let's not get it twisted. <laughs> um, turnover numbers, offensive rebounding, none of those things are good yet they're eight and 10. So they're doing some things, right? I think they're, they're finding ways to make winning plays at, at winning time, you know, and, and look, that can make a difference when, uh, when you look at Michigan state this year, yes, there have been games, you know, you think about the Kentucky game and there, there have certainly been others where MSU has made big plays at the right time to secure a victory, but Unusually, when you look at their losses this year, I believe I saw and I didn't verify this stat. I wish I, I wish I would have. Uh, I believe this is true, though. Anecdotally, it felt true to me. In seven of their eleven losses, MSU has had second half leads. So that is a knack. If if you watch Michigan State as I do, and think, I honestly think the the essence of the quality of this team is at least a little bit better than their record indicates. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what I believe at this point. I'm not saying I think they deserve to be in the big 10 title discussion, but do I think they are a little better than their record shows? Yeah, I do, but it doesn't matter if you don't make that. We just saw it right against Iowa. Yeah. We saw it against against Michigan and Ann Arbor. Uh, we've seen it at other times. You know, we saw it against Purdue at home. You yeah, know, Rutgers. we can cite several Rutgers and Madison Square Garden. We can cite several games without even thinking hard where they didn't make big plays in big moments. Well, I think Nebraska has managed to make those kind of plays in big moments enough to sit where they're sitting. But it's look, it's a it's a huge deal for for Fred Hoiberg because even at a place where you know. They've got good fan support, but let's be honest. Nebraska has zero basketball tradition to speak of. I just mentioned they've never won an NCAA tournament game as a program. And they've been there a few times, but not a ton. Uh, I don't know how much pressure there was or wasn't on Fred Hoiberg this year, but it was certainly starting to get close to to the end because there was no real viable sign of progress, you know. It was just bad, bad, bad. And it's been shocking to me that that's the way it's been. This team has shown signs of progress. Now, it's still surprising to me because the way they've done it is mostly (laughs) via a decent defense. He still has yet to produce a really good offensive team. And if if you looked at the job he did at Iowa State 
it's hard to it's hard to believe that he hasn't been able to do it in Nebraska because his teams at Iowa State played fast and they were very good offensively. Um, this one, you know, there's been a lot of just to get to the tempo thing real quick before we move on. This team's tempo rating is slow, certainly way, 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 way slower than Nebraska has been in previous years under Hoiberg. I think they're 202 or something overall, right. mm-hmm. but, but most of that offensively, while they're not playing as fast as they have in the past, they're still playing reasonably fast. I think they're like 138. It's the defensive possessions. They're in the three hundreds, which means even if I say, well, they're mediocre in terms of, you know, the efficiency that opponents are able to shoot against them. Like teams are able to have some success shooting the ball. They're not a great defensive rebounding team. They don't cause turnovers, et cetera. Um, They are at the very least forcing teams to use a lot of clock, which suggests that overall they're not bad in the half court that they're, and it also suggests they're forcing teams to play largely in the half court. They're not getting into the run and gun games that we saw a lot of in previous seasons where they would just end up on the short end of that stick. You know, that's just not happening. So it's a definitely improvement. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So let's go through the starters of Nebraska, uh, brought to you by brothers, uh, who that just do gutters again, reminder, you can contact Kurt Stauffer and mention final four and you get 10% off. Uh, we'll start with Sam Griesel, six, six senior transfer from North Dakota state. He's actually really good. He's the first really good point guard they've had in uh, he's, he's, had for a while. He's I'm going to disagree with that. He's, he's better than anything they've had before. I would have been inclined to buy really good back, like around the time MSU played the first game against them. Some of his numbers have declined since then. He's solid. Okay. Fair enough. He's solid. <laughs> and, and he's, and as for his build, he's also built solid. He's pretty, yes. pretty thick guy. Uh, he was all summit back in North Dakota state. Uh, he's averaging 11.7 points a game on 45, 30 and 69 shooting. Yeah, definitely. The shooting is down from the last time we talked. Sit, sit by 6%. Yeah. He's pulling down five and a half rebounds a game and leads the team with 104 assists and 62 turnovers. Uh, so anyway, so his, uh, his size makes him a little bit tough. He's kind of like a big, big, uh, AJ Hogard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's like six, he's all of six, six. And as you said, he's solidly built as well. I mean, he looks more physically. He looks more like, you know, maybe like a guy who would be a three, four hybrid and, Maybe on a different team, if Nebraska had another legitimate option at the point, maybe they would use him as more of an off the ball guy. And and by the way, talking about that deep shooting decline, that may be partially responsible as well. The fact that they have to ask him to run there. Uh, that's entirely possible. Um, right. So I, I, he's being asked to do a lot, but for my credit, all my criticism a moment ago, he is by far the, the most sound player that Fred Hoiberg has had at that position since he's been there. He had a run of every, I think this is the fourth different guy in four seasons. And every year it was another transfer and all the guys before Greasel were the super athletic, but kind of wild 
point guards that, you know, Cam Mack. And I mean, I've lost track all the guys they've had, but they all seem to be from the same mold. They were guys who, you know, you wouldn't trust to, to make any decision in your life. You wouldn't trust <laughs> them to tell you whether the sky was blue and, and Greasel at least is sound enough to be trustworthy. And that's, that makes for big progress in Lincoln. It really does. Next would be Kisei Tomonaga, 6'2", junior guard, a guy who I don't even remember last last season if he was on the team. I mean, obviously it was he on was. the team, but I just, he, was. he didn't play much. And he was, well, no, he, play, he played a decent amount, but he was absolutely wild. This is a guy who his shot selection, I, I could, uh, last year I could have actually used worst and I would, <laughs> I would feel comfortable with that. Um, but. This is what makes him hard to cover. And you're going to go through the numbers and everything in a second. But what makes Tomahawk so hard to cover is normally you have a sense in a game of what constitutes a good shot for an opponent. Sometimes a player can stretch that. Um, in the Iowa mm-hmm. game, for example, there was that play where Sanford just Sanford, rose yeah. up. He maybe did it a couple times. Rose up from near the uh, near the logo and drained it. Okay. That's, that's not a shot. Many guys are going to take, but Tomanaga, it's not just the distance. It's the timing. You know, he would launch, you know, seven seconds into a possession from 25 feet. It was just, and the difficulty is this year, he's much more efficient. Yeah. So it creates a dilemma for you as a defender, because your normal sense of, what situation an opponent is going to be in where they might take a shot against you. It's, it's totally out the window against this guy completely. So that's the problem. And, and he's been on a a hot streak. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Yeah, no question. Yeah. And I guess it's the point is like, you know, if, if you try and extend your defense out and like cover a guy, like, uh, you know, the cheap suit (laughs) term, now you're you're obviously open to penetration back cuts and those sorts of things, and you're out of position for switches and things like that. And here's another interesting number about him. So last year, two-thirds of his shots were from three. This year, it's just a tick over 50%. So, yeah, he's still a guy that you worry about disproportionately from three, but he has gotten to the point that, um, he has used that attention to create opportunities for himself inside the arc. And he's very willing to take those shots. He's not just a guy sitting, you know, sometimes you'll see these guys around the league where, you know, 80% of their shots are from three. So you basically know you got to worry about them at the arc and not really anywhere else. That's not Tomanaga anymore. And I suspect that's a lot of what you see when you see someone in who moves from start from the bench to the starting right when you have like 10 minutes versus now you have 25, you can, you have the latitude to, to do, to have more of more of your game rather than coming green just, light, know, right? green light. It is, <laughs> it is a deep emerald green for Tomanaga right now. Well, for a team that struggles offensively, obviously yeah. because this guy's averaging 12.6 points a game, 49, 40 and 87 shooting. He's absolutely yeah. the one you want to shoot more. If he's shooting crazy and he's still making 40%, Heck, go shoot all you want. Yeah. 
it's why it's why it's wild though. I mean, I was just going to say on that point, I mean, I look, I've talked, we've talked about guys at other times this year, like, um, funk at Penn state, uh, to some extent, at least at a certain point in the season, cam Spencer or Rutgers, these guys who have very quick triggers. And even with those guys, sometimes you feel like, wow, a shot's coming at a rhythm, right? Out of offensive rhythm for the team. And yet they'll still hit it. But Tominaga makes those guys look like uh, a <laughs> standard issue, you know, playing it by the book right down the middle kind of shooter by comparison. He is just wild. So if there was a bell curve, he's on the far end of that bell curve, right? Yep. <laughs> Comes the shot selection. Absolutely. Next would be Jamarcus Lawrence, 6'3 freshman guard, now in the, fresh, the starting lineup because of the injuries. Uh, and he's... Uh, playing a lot more than he did before when Michigan State saw him and he's lancing. He's averaging almost four points a game on 36, 33, and 38 shooting. His playing time has doubled since the last time I played. He's almost at 17 minutes a game. Yeah, he's he's definitely, I mean, and obviously those numbers aren't overwhelming, but he's more than doubled his scoring output since the first game. All his shooting numbers are improved. Um and he's playing a lot more out of necessity. So that's been good. I mean, you know, the one thing that, uh, um, well, I shouldn't say the one thing, Fred Hoiberg's had a lot of problems, right? But <laughs> one big problem he's had is he just hasn't ever been in a position where he had freshmen that he was really developing. Yeah. You know, that hasn't yeah. happened. It's just been constant portal stuff. And and then when he did get a freshman, he had the kid um, um, last year. I'm drawing I'm drawing a blank on from Florida. What's that? McGowan. McGowan. Yeah, Bryce McGowan. And the kid turns pro after a year. So how dare he? This is an ex- well. I understand it. That was to be expected. <laughs> yeah, no, they they knew that was coming, but um, it just further buttresses my point. Though this has been anything but a developmental program. So I've got to believe he's happy to have a freshman who's actually making progress during the season. And hey, this is a guy we're going to have back, hopefully for a few years, <laughs> and we'll see what happens. Uh, speaking of a guy back, C.J. Wilcher, 6'5", sophomore, averaging eight points a game on 39, 32, and 63 shooting. Uh, and he's uh, definitely a good defender, and he's probably part of the reason that uh, Nebraska's a little better this year. Well, you know, he's another one, obviously, and he's played a much bigger role than Lawrence over the last two years. But um, he started his career as Xavier, but didn't play there. So he transferred and he had four years of eligibility. So he's another guy they have to feel good about. But um, he's had a big challenge because in that starting lineup, you know, you look at it versus MSU, he's going to be dealing with Joey Hauser. That's a problem, you know. <laughs> And he's had those kind of issues in a lot of games because he's only six, five and yeah. he's really, you know, sometimes you have a six, five guy and you say, all right, that, but that guy's got strength and he's built a little bit, you know, he can handle it. Um, CJ Wilcher's a guard. I mean, he really is. And he's had to play a lot of power forward since Juan Gary went down. So, um, they believe that the one thing that's disappointing about the season he's had is that 32% from three. I know they feel like he's a much better shooter than that, but he has just not shot well. And finally, for starters, Derek Walker, 6'9", senior. Uh, he played uh, well the last year, 
coming in from Tennessee, and he's been a really good post player. He's showed some improvement this year. He's a leading scorer and re- rebounder. He's averaging almost 14 points a game and 7.2 rebounds a game. He shoots 59% from the floor. Uh, he's terrible from the line at 52%, which is probably part of the reason they have such miserable free throw shooting uh, average. And uh, he averages, you know, a little under five, three free throws a game. Yeah, that and that's a problem, and it's weird. Yeah, and I, I don't, hit him. I don't quite understand it. Well, even if he was hitting them, for 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 him to be as effective a low post player as he is, and only be averaging a little under three free throw attempts a game, that's weird. You would expect that number to be double that, you know. You mm-hmm, think yeah. about, I mean, if you look around at, at some of the big men this year in the conference, I, you know, the good ones, I, I guarantee you, you will see bigger numbers than that. Um, and I don't quite understand it because it's not like Walker's a guy that shies away from contact. Um, but for whatever reason, he just doesn't get to the line very much. Now, as you mentioned, the inability to hit free throws, it might actually be a blessing in disguise. If you go back to that MSU game at Breslin in January, he went one for eight and that came at the line. So that held him back. He still ended up with 15 points, but you know, he's a guy that's given MSU trouble. He gave him trouble last year. He played other than the free throw performance. He played pretty well uh, at Breslin and um, he's a problem because he's, he's one of these guys. He's not an Edie. He's not a Dickinson where their physicality just can overwhelm you. He's just a very clever, smart player, knows how to use his body, knows how to use angles uh, to be able to get shots off around the rim. And he's got a pretty good rate of finishing them. So he's a, yet another good guy at the five that MSU is going to have to face. We'll then move on to the reserves. We'll start with Wittelheim Breidenbach, 6'10", 230-pound sophomore. Missed most last year with injury. Uh, he's averaging 3.6 a game. 2.7 rebounds a game in 13 minutes. He, he, if I recall, he hit his first three against Michigan State, yeah. and then he missed everything else after that. He's shooting 38, 23, and 61 from the floor. That that 23 is actually higher. He he came into the Michigan the first Michigan State game shooting 17. percent So That's he's hiked so it a little bit. Made it. <laughs> he's hiked it a little bit since then. Um, but I guess the point is he's been better in some other games too, at least marginally. So. Uh, you know, he's got a long way to go. They were excited about him as a recruit. And right now his job is just to give them at times they will use him at the four and uh, go with a bigger lineup. He's capable of doing that. Uh, he obviously can also help get uh, Walker some rest at the five. Uh, you know, he's still got a future, of course. I'm not saying anything. So, but I think. I think they, they probably thought he was going to be a little more efficient as an offensive player than he's been, but there's still promise, you know, for the future. So a second big is blaze Keita, 6'11", 230 pound Juco transfer. He averaged about 10 points uh, minutes a game, averaging two points a game and three and a half rebounds a game. Uh, he didn't play against Michigan state and he didn't play against Minnesota. And so it's hard to know if he'll come back, but, we suspect he'll probably play a little bit. He keeps re-injuring his ankle. It's it's hard to know. Um, he sat out. He sat out the uh, the Minnesota game because in the game prior to that against Maryland, he uh, re-aggravated an ankle injury that caused him to miss the first MSU game. So MSU didn't see him. Uh, it's a it's a problem for them because 
he at least gives them, he's the one guy on their roster, at least among the guys who normally play or typically in the rotation. He's the one guy who has true five man physicality. I mean, even Walker is, you know, maybe six, eight. They list them at six, nine, but maybe six, eight or so And they, when they have games against, you know, the Zach Edies and the Dickinson's and, and those kinds of people, they're at a disadvantage, you know, physically. And Bradenbach is not that kind of guy either. He's not really a banger. This kid is a banger. And he's also a guy that they think has a bright future. Uh, but it, it seems to me that it's extremely iffy that he plays. Next is uh, Sam Hoiberg. His wow, kind of an interesting last name. Now this is the story. Other than Tomanaga, this is the story of the Nebraska season. Go on. Right. So six foot freshman, obviously son of Fred Hoiberg, not the Hoiberg that was on Michigan State. So different one, different Hoiberg. He's he was not playing in even in the rotation. I don't think he even saw the floor against Michigan State. He did not. He's averaging three point nine eight, three point nine points a game on fifty nine, forty one, and ninety shooting. In almost 12 minutes a game, he's he had 11 points, six boards in the win over Minnesota. I think, and I don't remember what game it was at the last game. I think at Nebraska, he had a steal at the end of the game to seal it. Was that against who was that against? Was that against Penn State or? Um, Not Wisconsin? sure. Maryland, maybe. In maybe overtime. Maryland, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever game it was, yeah, that he won the game basically. He got he I think it was Maryland. Yeah, he stole the ball and the inbound went down, laid it up. They went up five, and I don't know, it was like 12 seconds left or something like that. And the game was over. Uh, he was, he is, I believe he is still a walk-on. Um, can't convince his dad for a scholarship. Not huh? well, probably he will get one now because <laughs> he's played well enough. Uh, this was not expected to put it mildly, <laughs> but ne- Nebraska had those injuries hit. And so they really needed to try and do something to lengthen their rotation. And when Hoiberg started getting real minutes, it started working and it's huge that he's given them this lift because as we've talked about, this is a terrible three point shooting team outside of Tominaga. He's the one guy that you really worry about. You know, Greasel's okay. Lawrence is okay. They're not guys that keep you up at night. Yeah. Hoiberg gives them, and it's not heavy volume, but he gives them another guy that defenses have to worry about from out there. So it's truly been remarkable that he's come from nowhere to be a very positive addition to their rotation. Good for him. Hopefully he doesn't do it against us on Tuesday. Uh, Next is Denim Dawson, 6'6", freshman wing, averaging 1.8 points a game on 35, 31, and 40 shooting in about 15 minutes. And he's played a little bit more just because of the injuries. Yeah, he's seen his, you know, he was averaging about 10 minutes a game before MSU saw them the first time, and he's up to 15 now. Uh, again, out of necessity, they needed to do some things, bring some young guys along to lengthen that bench. And, you know, Dawson's not super productive, but he is a guy that they think down the line could help them. He's got, you know, he's a wing, he's got decent athleticism. They think he can be a good defensive player, and they also think he'll be better offensively as he continues to adjust. But right now he's a guy who's buying them some minutes basically. Yeah. I was very disappointed because he didn't play against Michigan state. I was all set to give my, uh, tell my son that joke, you know, that basketball's in Denim's jeans, but 
you know, we never had the opportunity. So finally, Oleg Kojnets, seven foot redshirt freshman. He might play if Kata's ankle is a no go. He saw six minutes against Minnesota, averaging only three minutes a game in 16 games so far, less than a point a game and less than a rebound a game. Yeah, I think the only way he plays is if the other kid can't go. Um, you know, and and against Michigan State, we don't think of Michigan State as a big team, certainly, and they're not. But you can see where Fred Hoiberg might feel like he needs one more big guy. I mean, Walker plays about 30 minutes a night. So he plays a lot, but that still leaves 10 minutes, right? So, you know, you have you have Breedenbach who can give you some minutes off the bench, but he's also going to play some at the four. So you probably need that one other big body in this game, ideally. Now, who knows? Maybe he'll surprise me and he'll go small ball. Um, but th- that's why I think if, if the one kid can't go, this guy may step in just for a few minutes to try to buy him a little bit of time with legitimate size and hope he can grab a rebound or two. Yeah, the one disadvantage, of course, to try to go small ball against Michigan State. I mean, certainly you can, but it it almost plays into Michigan State's hands in some ways. And then Michigan State has their five best players, you know, best offensive and defensive players on the court at the same time. Uh, let's look to what happened at Iowa City, though. Well, <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, it's no guarantee. But it worked, for, it worked for most of the second half, right? Until the very end of the game, it sort of just fell apart, fell to pieces. But, yeah. All right, well, let's talk about the uh, five keys of the game. Brought to you by Nudge Printing right after this. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else. Like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so our five keys of the game brought to you by Nudge Printing. Nudge Printing is a fantastic sponsor of the show. They've been, they've been our, they're our first sponsor. And, I mean, uh, Gabe and Brittany are doing really amazing work. Gabe just sent me a message saying that they've, they've been one of the partners with the Spartan Strong to try and uh, help raise money to help Spartan students uh, with the tragedy that happened on the 13th. They've printed over 15,000 shirts and distributed them and sold them. And so to Whoa, raise money. Wait, wait a minute. 15,000? 15, 15,000. 
Not 1,500. No, 15,000. Good Lord. Yeah, so they are. Wow. (laughs) I mean. I saw, saw, just as an aside, I saw, I think it was on social media. I saw a photo they had, uh, and it brought back some less than pleasant memories for myself, as we've alluded to once or twice here, about what happens when you get all these orders in. (laughs) It's great. The problem is you've then got to package them up and slap that postage on there and take them to the post office. And they had a photo of all these packaged yeah. Spartan strong t-shirts, but I didn't realize the number was that high. That's wow. That's a, that's a heck of a statement about not just them, but about the the Michigan state fan base too. Yeah. I mean, they've, I, and I know they're not the only ones doing this, but I know they, they were, they are actually probably the first to respond and to start and they had to stop for a second, just to make sure, you know, things were straightened out, but they have gone uh, gangbusters. Uh, so, you know, this MSU alums, the Michigan based, uh, it, the work they're doing is really, it's really great. It's, it's actually really, it's really great. We're blessed that they're part of our, you know, our family here too, with the final force on the schedule. And so, uh, it's been a great partnership. And so, you know, if you want to support Spartan strong, you can go to nudge printing and find their, their stuff there. And the, the proceeds there go towards supporting, uh, that, uh, that work. Uh, also he's going to be working on, and I think he had to stop for a second is to try and help the Mati Sissoko foundation. We've had Mati Sissoko on to, to talk about what he's doing. And so Gabe stepped up and he wanted help out there with getting logo and some t-shirts printed to help out the fundraising for that as well. Uh, so, you know, just great people. You can't miss by going to their stuff and really high quality stuff too. I mean, I've got, I've got a sweatshirt I was wearing yesterday, uh, super soft and, you know, wears great. Uh, I've got some t-shirts, which are again, very soft, great prints, great logos. Uh, they also have vintage stuff. They've got, if you're house divided, you got, you know, someone went to Alma and someone went to Michigan state. You guys can get both get your gear. They've got big wall stickers. Uh, they had one like big Spartan S and Sparty and all kinds of things. Check out their collection. They got all kinds of cool stuff. And if you want to want to buy either a shirt or a hoodie with our logo that we were the proceeds there go to our show. And so you can help support our show. Also help out Gabe and his team. You can go to the final force on the schedule.com slash merchandise. And then you can it links you to the merchandise page where you can go and find this, the collection. And when you go to checkout, make sure you type in final four for the coupon code. Uh, there you can get 20% off your purchase. And so uh, you can't miss with, with Gabe and Brittany. They're just doing great work. Again, that's at nudgeprinting.com. All right. So the keys to the game, the first key is defensive glass, which you know, Michigan State has generally been really good, but yeah, they've had times where they have not been good. And so we've seen that and it's come back and, and bitten them a couple of times recently. Uh, Nebraska, we've mentioned before, is not great on the offensive glass, but you sure don't want to give a team that struggles offensively a second chance to score. They're they're bad. They're 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 in the high two hundreds. They're a bad offensive rebounding team. But again, we we've seen just enough inconsistency with this Michigan State team. And and boy, look at the last you know say week, eight days. They get absolutely tattooed, especially late against Michigan. But you could understand it. At least I, I thought it was understandable. It was late in the game. I think Michigan State ran out of some ga- out of gas for some perfectly understandable reasons. And Michigan was playing the kind of twin tower lineup that you don't see very often. And Terrace Reed in particular really did some damage. 
So, okay, really bad. I think it was the deciding factor in the game, but you can kind of understand it. They come back against Indiana and do a fantastic job of limiting that team, shutting them down on the offensive boards for the most part. We come back against Iowa, a good offensive rebounding team. Not great, but good. And although they they were never great in terms of the defensive boards, I felt like they held it together reasonably well until Rabracha fouled out and Iowa had to go small. And then Michigan State simply could not grab an offensive rebound or defensive rebound when it mattered, it, down the stretch in regulation or in overtime. The best offensive rebounder on the floor, best rebounder period on the floor down the stretch of that game was Tony Perkins, a six-four <laughs> guard. That should not happen. So, you know, which team shows up? Most of the time, this team has gotten the job done on the defensive glass, but there's been just enough moments. And the, and the problem is, and I think we've talked about this before, when they're bad, it's typically not, oh, well, they gave up 13 offensive rebounds. You know, it was a middle bad, but, you know, not, it's when they're bad, they're catastrophically bad. That's the yeah, problem. Yeah. Like against Rutgers or. Michigan down the stretch, 40 plus percent offensive rebounding percentage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a catastrophe. So the second key to the game is the three Michigan state is shooting lights out, especially after the last game in Iowa, they're up to 38 and a half percent as a team from three, which puts them at 14th nationally. Nebraska is better than they are on the road, but still pretty terrible. Uh, they're a little, what, 33%. So Michigan State has to have a big advantage here. Yeah, yeah, to say the least. I mean, we say it every week, every game. Um, and the reality is that Michigan State is shooting the ball well for the most part coming down the stretch of this season. I mean, they shot it like they were at 40% right around there against Indiana. Um, they didn't shoot great against Michigan, but they weren't horrible. And um, then the games before that, they, they've been on a run where they've, they're shooting the ball very well. And as you say, against Iowa on the road, they were just lights out. So this has to be an area where Michigan State has a distinct advantage. If it's, if it's even or close to even or, God forbid, they're at a deficit, it could be hard to win. The third key to the game is Tomanaga. So he's averaging 19 points a game over the last four games during this winning streak. He's, you know, as you mentioned before, his shot selection is crazy, yet he hits them. (laughs) And he's just been just red hot. And he's also not just limited to threes. He does drive and shoot mid-range at times too, which they also tend to be falling. I mean, with everything right now for him. So, and he's and with the crowd, I think he really feeds off the crowd and, and Lincoln too. Absolutely. They love him. And I get it as a neutral fan, when I'm watching them play against anybody else, I I can watch it and know that he would drive me insane if he were playing for my (laughs) team. But as a neutral fan where you're not emotionally invested in the outcome, he's fun to watch because it, it is wild. I mean, and, and anybody who's played knows what I'm talking about when I say this. When you're defending a guy, you have an intuitive sense of, okay, this is a spot on the floor 
where I can't let this guy catch the ball and I certainly can't leave him open from here. Or, you know, it's, we're just into the shot clock. He's not going to just rise up and take a contested jumper. You know, they're going to work the ball and try to get a better (laughs) shot. All these things that are, you can, you can, I would say you can physically feel them when you're playing as to when you would expect a shot to come. They're out the window with this guy. He doesn't, it, it kind of reminds me of, if you remember when Steve Nash really made his breakthrough um, as an elite NBA player, once he got to Phoenix, I'm talking like, you know, the early aughts, mid aughts, that period. Um, he played point guard, I thought, differently than I'd ever seen anybody else play it. It reminded me more of movement that a soccer player would use. And he had played soccer, as I understand it, growing up. So maybe not a surprise. But it, it struck me as very unorthodox. But, you know, this is a guy, he it's things that are commonplace now where he would drive underneath the rim and, and pass from there. Um, and I'm not describing, I'm not articulating it very well. I don't think, but, but people who saw him play, I think will know what I'm talking about. It was a different feel to the game than I had ever seen. Even the greatest point guards, magic, Isaiah, John Stockton, it, it looked different. And he played differently than any of those guys had played. And a lot of what he did has been incorporated into the game now. And you see it much more frequently. Um, Steph Curry plays the game differently than anybody who came before him. He's another guy, although it's at least a little bit more comprehensible to me than Tomanaga. Shots that are good shots for him are not good shots for anybody else. You know? Um, Tomanaga, it feels like that to me where he is playing his own game in his own rhythm, and it's not one that you're familiar enough with as a viewer to be able to feel it, you know? Right. And that that must make it incredibly difficult to try to guard him. It's probably got to, in some level, make it difficult to play with, too, right? I that mean, too. You think if someone's got a different rhythm. I mean, I guess it's the guy, Long's guy scoring, but... Uh, you know, Garland talked to us last show that one of the one of the reasons you look at Iowa and the reason their defense efficiency is so bad is not as much because of their defense being too poor, which it is, <laughs> their individual defense, their half-court defense, but because they have bad shot selection and so it leads yeah. to sort of easier offensive possessions on the other end. And you wonder a guy like Tomonaga that it, you'd expect the same sort of thing. Like as he gets more minutes, you'd expect defensively they have a little more difficulty Although I guess if he's hitting enough of them, then he's hitting really matter. more. That's that's part of it too. Is that the shots are falling? Yeah, I think that's true, and I think it. I think it could be difficult to play with him. But again, this is a team that is so devoid of offensive scoring punch, yeah, particularly right. from the perimeter, that you know they're going to take what they can get. But it's yeah, it's just it's got a very strange feel to him to watching him play because. You're just as someone who watches basketball, I think you're used to, you know, we all have a sense of what is a good shot. And, and that's why some, it's not just, oh, he was open. It's more than that. It's also, is it in rhythm? 
did was did the shooter get the ball in in his pocket you know where he wants to get the ball as a pass recipient so that it's an easy natural in rhythm motion to go into the shot um game situation can affect that you know people always talk about somebody who hits a couple shots in a row and then they might launch a third one quickly and it feels out of rhythm but he did it because it's a heat check you know you have even forget a player a player obviously has it but even as a viewer i i would think everybody listening to this knows what i'm talking about you have a an understanding intuitively almost of what a natural rhythm is and what constitutes a good shot and and that enables you to also be able to almost feel when a bad shot is taken when somebody takes a shot out of rhythm or when it's it's closely contested and they launch it anyway this guy you throw all those things out the window how you feel doesn't isn't really correlating as well as you would think it should to the actual results that's the point i think and that's got to make it really hard to guard him sure right, when he's when he's shooting the way he is right now especially yeah you've just got to be paranoid that no matter what you do sometimes you, you can't, can't you can't relax yeah. you can't yeah. relax there's certain that, that's i think the point like i i talked earlier about um Stanford, the kid from Iowa, when he came down and I can't even remember, might've been Tyson, might've been somebody else was guarding him. And he pulled up from Christ. It was at least 25 feet. It might've been further out than that. And he drained that one. I didn't blame the MSU defender on that. That's, that's not a good shot. You know, that's not, that's a moment where as a defender, you are relaxed because you don't expect anybody to pull up from there because nobody does. He did (laughs) and he hit it. Okay, good for him. You tip your hat, and if he does it another couple times, maybe you change the way you're defending him. But this kid, those shots are going to come from every angle, in in rhythm, out of rhythm. They're just they're going to come, and so you can't relax for a half second the way you normally would if a guy is, you know, catching a pass 25 feet from the basket. You don't, you know, off up, you know, and, and it's, and it's out of, it's not even in uh, what would be normally a good shooting position. You can't relax because he will take those shots. And the obvious thing too, is that you have to be very careful that you're not fouling to make those shots difficult because the guy is yep. uh, really good yep. on line shooting. You like can't 90%. overreact. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so the, a much more traditional score is Derek Walker at the post play. So that's the fourth key to the game. He's leading the team in rebounding and scoring. Uh, he gave Michigan State all kinds of fits this year, you know, last game, and then even last year. So even last year when we had Bingham and uh, Marble as defenders, he gave us trouble. And now this year, Kohler, Cooper, and Sissoko. So you know, what can we do to prevent him from getting easy buckets? Yeah, um, you know, it, it's. I thought MSU's fives did a really. The two of them that played did a really good job against trace jackson davis um they were not as good against robracha but i will tell you where i did think they were good robbie hummel was talking on the broadcast about how iowa really made a mistake when they were down 13 and everybody assumed it was a loss talk about how it was such a big problem that that he just hadn't got many shots in the second half 
But I think a lot of that was attributable to MSU's fives playing much better defense against him in the post. I'll tell you who really impressed me. I thought in that second half, Carson Cooper had a hell of a turn defensively against Robracha. Robracha didn't touch the ball because Carson Cooper was in denial the whole way. Yeah. And never gave, I, I was not getting good, easy entry looks against him. And, and I thought it was really impressive. Um, what's interesting about this game and this matchup to me, I think is this. When MSU played Nebraska the first time, they were still mostly in conventional MSU defensive, a conventional MSU defensive strategy period, Mm -hmm. by which I mean, mostly playing a guy in the post straight up, not sending a lot of help. And you just kind of live with the results. Since that game, we have seen Michigan State, we've talked about this here before, do more doubling and send more more digs from the perimeter. Well, definitely more straight doubling than the entire rest of Tom Izzo's career combined. We've seen this year. And they've been more aggressive in digging down from the perimeter than we've seen in a few years. So I'm going to be interested to see if Michigan state decides to send more help against Walker and then also how Michigan state's fives hold up individually against him. Um, You know, at the time, another point worth making at the time of that first game, I would argue Carson Cooper and Jackson Kohler have both made strides since then defensively. For sure. And so that's a little bit different as well. You know, you've got those two to add to Mahdi. And, and what Michigan State can throw at you. And then again, as I said, add in the fact that they've shown a willingness to play differently. You know, if they, if they do against him what they've done against a lot of other guys, kind of vary the timing, vary where it's coming from, if it's coming, and try to keep him off balance, that could maybe help. If Michigan State can, can make Walker at least play an inefficient game, even if he scores a decent amount, but he has to take a lot of shots to do it. It's going to be really hard for Nebraska to win. I mean, I think that's a matchup that if Michigan state can just slow him down some, make it tougher on him, they don't have a lot of other options. It's, it's Walker and Tamanaga. And that's kind of about it. It's certainly a team that can go through big scoring droughts. You've seen it before with Nebraska. Yeah, I would say you know to their points, Cooper is going to be better, I think, than even last game because he should that ankle should be better than it was because uh, I'm sure it still is bugging him a little bit against Iowa. And it's interesting, you know, everyone always talks about stubborn Izzo, how he never changes, and yet you see his approach in the post is much different this year when you have it's just, radically, just so, radically yeah. different. And and I you know I guess people might make the argument, well, it's because the fives are so much worse. You know, Sissoko's terrible, blah blah blah. I think it's just more just a reflection of just the Big Ten and where the strengths are of these teams. Yeah. They rely yep. so much on the post that it is important to neutralize that as best as you can because they can hurt you. And I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't maybe you know, but I don't know what Walker's like with the double team. Is he good passing out of it? Is he going to turn the ball over? I don't really have a good feel he's for him. Okay. He's okay. I mean, he's not yeah. he's not Trace Jackson Davis, but he's okay. Yeah. Um, and then obviously you've got to watch when you, who you're doubling off of. You don't want to double off. That, that's the, that's the right? big thing. I think the the thing that leads you to conclude, oh, they can get away with this is that Nebraska as a team doesn't shoot the three very well, but you've got to be careful that you're not 
leaving Tomonaga open. So that I would think is going to be a factor in when and with who doubling comes from. I think, too, with Michigan State, and the reason that Michigan State's getting away with it and doing a little more this season, too, is the the guards are really more aware than usual for Michigan State, and they're very quick, and they're able to get back and cover quickly. And even in the fourth spot, when you've got Hall there, you can rotate quickly around the perimeter if you have to. And, you know, I think, you're, I think you can get away with doubling a little bit more just because of that reason. I think you have the ability to sort of recover outside. At, at, their, at their best... They've been, they have shown and had games where they've been very, very good in terms of recovery, getting back to shooters and being able to still contest on the perimeter, even when they're sending a perimeter guy to dig down. They've been, they've been very, very good at times in that, in that area. Um, there've been other games where maybe they haven't been quite as good, but overall, I think you're right in terms of what's enabled them to have the confidence to do that a little bit more. Finally, the last key of the game is the mentality. So Michigan State's been through a lot psychologically, and uh, obviously the Iowa loss is going to be tough to overcome. And we were talking; that was your question to to coach last uh, last show. You know, how do you know this team is going to be okay? He's like, you don't know until they play. He said, you won't you won't know until, but you'll know right away. So so you know maybe within the first few minutes we'll see if there's a hangover effect. Or if they come out with confidence and start hitting shots and you're know, playing like they're okay, right? And and I think you know it's it's a great unknown. Um, you would hope that there will be resiliency. I just that this is the thing for me as I look at it. You know, Michigan State had that stretch where they were playing really good opposition for the most part without much rest between games, and we felt like okay, there's a physical toll that's being taken on this team, but they're going to get through that. And the schedule is going to be much friendlier as they go down the stretch, both in terms of who they play, where they're playing them and the amount of time between games. Right. Well, just as that hit, we've now had two weeks basically where they've gone through a lot. Yeah. There's the initial shock of what happened on campus. And then you go and your first game back, you're playing in Ann Arbor. You kind of bounce back from that. You, you, your first game at home, again, a ton of emotion, but you play well and you beat in a good Indiana team at home. And, and then we have this uh, sort of unprecedented loss at Iowa city. If they just lost at Iowa, I don't think it would have been that big a deal. But yeah, the right. nature, the, the happened, nature yeah. of it, yeah. And so they have been through a lot. And I, you know, when Mike Garland says you're not going to know until the game starts, that, that's that's it, man. I don't need to hear anymore. So they're they're trying. And it was interesting to me that you know when I asked him, in because in, he had said the thing you worry about is kind of the obvious thing, but I'm glad he said it. It's confidence. Is does a game like Iowa? cause you to lose confidence. And I think also maybe it's worth noting a game like Iowa on the back of all these other things that have tested them and have presumably taken, you know, mental energy as well as physical energy away. All those things matter. And is there a cumulative effect? Like where's the straw that breaks the camel's back, right? That's what I'm getting at. And 
you know, I asked him, well, how do you deal with that? Do you, do you just focus on rebuilding the confidence or are you still leaning on, Hey guys, we did X, Y, and Z miserably at the end of that game. We got to correct this. And he said, as I would have expected him to, it's a combination of both. So we're going to find out, we're going to find out how effective, um, that, uh, you know, coach Izzo kind of putting, uh, you know, leading the team to the couch in the psychology psychiatrist's office is in terms of getting this team ready for another road game against a team that's playing very well and, uh, and see how they can respond. But I think it's obviously it's a big factor, you know, and, and it's an unknown. We just don't know. So Nebraska will finish up the season at Iowa on Sunday. And, okay, uh, so they're probably not going 500, but you never probably know. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Uh, this is a game that's not a must win for Michigan State. I think, you know, we probably both feel comfortable that they're in the tournament no matter what happens. You'd hate to, you know, a three-game slide or something to finish the season. Uh, but it's not going to be an easy game, and it's a game that they're going to have to play well and to, to beat Nebraska. Absolutely. They're, they're three-point. MSU's a three-point favorite per Ken Palm. So even though they're on the road and, you know, and, and Nebraska's only whatever it is, two games behind or one game behind in the, in the win column, actually, um, it's still a situation where Michigan State is favored on the road for a reason. Nebraska has played well, but let's not get crazy. <laughs> this is this is a team that if Michigan State is able to, and I don't know that they're going to be able to, but if they are able to just put Iowa and everything that came before that behind them and focus, which was something else Mike Garland said, specifically about the defensive rebounding, but I think it applies to a lot of things uh, with this team down the stretch of that Iowa game is that they lost focus. Uh, if they are able to focus, um, they should have enough to get by this one. Yeah, I, I'm going to guess that they are very focused, and I think they're going to be okay. And, you know, what's interesting is the when you look at this, the Big Ten standings, obviously not playing Minnesota. Metrics-wise, it, it, it's probably helpful. Uh, you know, when it comes to Big Ten standings, you know, you're not playing for Big Ten championship anyway, so in that sense, it doesn't really matter. It does matter in seeding in the sense that you want to try and make it to a double buy. I think that's pretty much off the table now. Maybe win the next, although, you know, who knows with all the teams left what's going to happen. But I think, you know, the the key to is much like the NCAA tournament. I don't know that it matters where you are in the seeding in the Big Ten. I it just nope, outside of having to play on Wednesday, right? That's the one that you wouldn't want to have to just play Wednesday, which is hard to imagine. Michigan State's never played on Wednesday before. Um, yeah. But so you want to avoid Wednesday. If you avoid that, it doesn't really matter who you play because you can beat anybody and, you know, heck, you could lose anybody. So I think I don't, it's, is it, it's is all it, it's wide open. Is it mathematically possible for them to play on Wednesday? They'd have to uh, be in the bottom four, right? Well, I mean, I, I would let's look at the stings real quick, but I think they've got nine was, wins. They've got nine they've got, wins. So you've right. got you, you've clearly got you've clearly got. um Minnesota, Ohio State, and Penn State, I don't think you get to nine now, right? Because Penn State lost tonight. That's true. Because I was looking before. Yeah, let's see. Well, Penn State's eight and ten, so Penn State could oh, finish ten and okay. ten. Okay, my bad. Uh, Wisconsin could be ten and ten. Nebraska could be ten and ten. I mean, it's theoretically yeah, possible so theoretically that you could, it's you possible. could be passed. Okay. Now, I don't think that's going to happen, 
but yeah, I don't. You know, either. you win, you beat Nebraska. It's off the table. You're going to be a ten and eight. The worst you be it finishes ten and nine. You're going to be ahead of all those teams, and you're definitely not going to be playing on Wednesday. Uh, you know, heck, heck, you know, Nebraska or not Nebraska, Ohio State won today, so they somehow beat, right, finally beat Illinois. The, My yeah. goodness. That, that's, uh, so anyway, that's actually that's a I I look at that as a good thing. If you're Michigan State, they got the monkey off their back in somebody else's gym. I don't I don't suspect that <laughs> they're going to put up much of a fight in East Lansing next weekend. And and we know how Michigan State tends to play on senior days generally very, very well. Yeah. They rarely seem to lose those games. So I feel pretty confident about that one. But, you know, if you want to take the positive side of this, if they win these last two, they end up 11 and eight. Yeah, I was just going to say they're they could theoretically be second place. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, possible. I don't know that I'm quite. Yeah, it's possible. But I, I do think that um, your point is a very good one about seeding not mattering. I would even say the double buy thing doesn't matter to me as much as it normally does, because I, with this team, I, I don't, they're a year and I'm not certainly not one who believes the big 10 tournament doesn't matter. I think that's something that Michigan States want it more than anybody else. It's something they want to win. Um, and, uh, and so normally like, yeah, you'd like to see them go on a run. I all I care about with this team is that they play well. Like last year to me was just about perfect for that yeah, team. Right. They won a game against Maryland, I believe, and then they were they were right there with a very, very good Purdue team and lost. But that's okay. You come you came away from it. I came away from it at least feeling like, you know what, they're finally playing well. And they carried that into the NCAA tournament and I think played very well in the two games they had. So it, it felt good. Uh, this team, I don't know. I certainly don't want to see them go on a four day run. I don't want to see that because I think that would probably take a little more out of them physically than I would like to see. That's just my personal belief. I could, you know, if you, yeah, if you've got a chance to win something, of course you want to do that. But I just, to me, the ideal thing is play at least a couple of games if you can, and that sets you up pretty well. But who they're playing, all of that, trying to figure out who's going to win this thing is insane. It's a crapshoot. I don't know how. I don't know how you can. I you mean, even Purdue. Purdue what's, but... what's Purdue got? Purdue's got is it five losses or six now? Uh, I think it's five, six. right? I think, yeah, the 13 and five. Yeah. So 13 and five, two games left. I haven't looked at who they play uh, the rest of the way, but even if they end up winning it, you know, remember we had people wondering if they were going to lose a game at all in the big 10. And I, you know, I feel at least somewhat vindicated by what's happened. They've sure. actually lost. If you'd asked me three weeks ago, they've lost a couple more than I thought they would. So, so um, they've lost three of their last four. Yeah, they play. They're at Wisconsin next on Thursday. Oh, that could be tough because Wisconsin... and then they're home against it. And then they they home and host Illinois to finish the season on Sunday. So, OK, I mean, that's not, not impossible. Easy. I mean, that's not know, easy. I'm not saying I think they'll win, but, you know, who knows? That's not easy. I mean, the, the game in Madison especially is tough because, you know, Wisconsin had a chance today to um, really, I think, solidify 
their tournament case if they had held on to beat Michigan at Michigan. I think that would have not that it's a quad one win, but I think that would have done them some good. They didn't get it done. They lost in overtime um, in heartbreaking fashion, I will add. I'm not sure if you were <laughs> so aware of that. I yeah. saw the yeah, I saw sort yeah. of how it transpired. But all right, you know, the great the great thing is, is we're going to talk to our bracketologist tomorrow. Right. And, and so I, this and so we'll go through all these sort of scenarios and things yeah. with, about Big Ten I, teams. I want to and, and Wisconsin will be a team I want to ask him about because mm-hmm. I would think a home game against Purdue is a very big one. Everything I've seen suggests Wisconsin is right on that line. They are right on the bubble. Right. First four in, last four out. They're kind of in that range. So I would think they're going to give Purdue everything they've got in the tank. And so that's not an easy game if you're Purdue. And then home against Illinois, Illinois is like everybody else in this league to me. Which one's going to show up? I have yep, no idea. Exactly. Yeah. Neither so, does Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, I don't think they do. I mean, they, they lost what they lost at home today to Ohio State. I mean, that's... That's not a good sign. They lost at Ohio late. State. We'll give them. We'll give oh, Ohio State. Oh, I'm, I'm we'll sorry. give Illinois a little bit of credit. They even, lost on the road, but even that, that's yes, still bad. That's not a good sign. And and so you know you think Illinois is going to be certainly motivated to demonstrate, hey, we're we're ready for March. You know, so not an easy end for Purdue. But anyway, well, we're gonna I, get I, out I, of here. Yeah. Let's wrap, <laughs> it, let's wrap this, it up. We're going to talk about all this stuff t- tomorrow. Uh, again, you guys are great. Thanks for supporting the show. Make sure you check out nudgeprinting.com for Spartan Strong, our gear, or just regular Spartan gear. Contact Kurt Stauffer at Brothers That Just Do Gutters, uh, brothersgutters.com. And then also, uh, you can go to our, the final force on the schedule.com slash support. Find ways to support us financially. We really appreciate that, which allows us to do things like, you know, interview bra- a real bracketologist. Not a Joe Lenardi, a guy who actually gets things right. So that's going to be a fun show tomorrow. So until next time, the final force on the schedule, go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.